Well, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles again to Acts chapter 2. I told you earlier to kind of keep your place there. We're going to, we're going to hang out in that passage of Scripture this morning that we, that we just read from a few moments ago. But as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. I want to start by asking this question. What is the thing that you dream about in your life? What is the, the obsession of your, of your days? Because I, I believe this, the things that we dream about, the things that we contemplate, the things that we obsess over, those are the things that our hearts drift toward. And not always are they bad things. In fact, I would tell you that over the years, the things that I obsess myself with are more books. I'm a, I'm a reader. I love to read books. I have hundreds and hundreds of books in my garage, in boxes that I just can't get rid of. I don't know if there's any avid book readers in the room this morning. I'm one of those people where it's like, when I have a book, I can't get rid of it. And so I just keep getting more and more boxes of them. But I I kind of love to read. I love to glean from others that are much smarter than I am that speak into my life through their thoughts and through their words. A more recent obsession for me has been a motorcycle. My wife gave me permission last summer to get my first motorcycle. And a lot of wives think that she's a little bit crazy, but she trusts me enough. And I think she might be just a little bit crazy, but she does. She trusts me enough to ride a motorcycle for years. uh, For 10 years, I had a dirt bike when we lived in Colorado and I would go dirt biking with several of the guys in our church. And we would ride these mountain trails, you know, at sometimes 10, 11,000 feet and elevation. And it was so much fun. But when we moved back here to Mansfield, I realized that you know what, I don't think a dirt bike is going to serve me very well, but I would ride my dirt bike in some of the back roads in Lexington, some of the gravel roads and stuff, and I realized how much I enjoy just being on the road, just me and the road. And so I traded in my dirt bike last summer for a motorcycle, and I love it. It just, it helps me unwind, it helps me to shut my brain off, and it's kind of what my heart drifts toward during the summer months. When do I get to ride my motorcycle next? And so those are things that are kind of more, more recent obsessions for me. But if I'm being honest, if I go back historically in my life, the thing that I've been most obsessed with since I was 17 years old is being a part of a church that is serving the Lord, that is a light to the community, and being a part of helping grow that church and pastor that church. And, you know, the local church, this church in, in, in particular, These are the things that I obsess with. These are the things that I stress about. They're the things that I celebrate about. They're the things that I dream about at night. And they're the things that at times keep me up at night. I think about the local church and being a part of a church that is truly making an impact in its area and its region. And I want to be a part of a local church that a a body of believers that desire to be a part of that kind of church just as much as I do. And I hope you understand this morning how unique this congregation is, how special this body of believers is, and what God is doing in and through us. And I hope you feel like when you come here on Sunday mornings and when you cross paths throughout the week, I hope you feel like God it has brought special relationships into your life. And, and I'm truly honored to be a part of Crossroads Church. We've dreamed of being a part of a church just like this. In fact, after almost three years of being here in Mansfield, Ohio, my wife and I still pinch ourselves. Like we get to be a part of what God is doing through this local church. And it's wonderful and it's powerful. And we're seeing lives changed. Like when we baptized over 60 people back in August, that is a picture of, of transformation. That's the picture of the power of God 
through the ministry of Crossroads. And I want you to ponder this reality as we get into our sermon this morning. I set all of that to set this up for you to ponder this reality. We, here at Crossroads, are a fulfillment of Christ's prophecy. When he said 2,000 years ago, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was preaching about us 2,000 years later, later, we are a present day fulfillment of his prophecy. And I love the mission here at Crossroads. I love what we're all about. Over the next month, what you're going to hear, uh, and this is kind of an introductory sermon into our sermon series that's starting next week called My Church Is, we're going to be talking about the mission of Crossroads. We're going to be talking about our core values and the things that drive us, the things that we want to be consumed with. And we're going to be reminded that when we come together on Sunday mornings, we come together to worship and do life together with these people, that these are the things that we're all about because we're not just about gathering on Sunday mornings. We're about sending on Monday mornings. We're not just about being a place where God's word is taught. We're about life transformation because of God's word being taught. We're about discipling one another. And I believe that our church's best days are in in front of us still. I believe that Crossroads is going in a direction where God is going to continue to use us into the next generation. So I make that statement that I believe our brightest days are ahead. You know how I can say that? Because during the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a pandemic, a church shouldn't advance. Yet we did. In the middle of a pandemic, our generosity should not grow, but ours did. In the middle of a pandemic, a ministry doesn't expand, but Crossroads did. And you think about this, in the middle of a pandemic, two churches like Ontario Christian Fellowship and Crossroads Church shouldn't merge, but we did. And we've combined to be one congregation that God can use in powerful ways. And I believe that because of our our bond because of our unity, because of our coming together as one. The future is bright for Crossroads. And man, I hope your dream is to be a part of a church that truly makes a difference in its community and truly makes a gospel impact. So I want to start with a question. If our, if our brightest days are ahead, if we want to be that church that makes a difference in the community and makes a true gospel impact in our generation, how do we get there? How do we get to that place? Who can we learn from and what did they do that is worth replicating all of these years later? Well, the church in Acts is that amazing testimony that I want to look to. This was a group of people who saw the resurrected Christ. They witnessed Jesus in his resurrected form. They heard the word of God preached. They heard the message of salvation. They received it and they were transformed by it. And because it changed their lives, They could not contain the message of Jesus. Has anything in your life changed you that much that that you can't not talk about it? This was the message of Jesus upon these believers in Acts chapter 2 that we're going to look at. It could not be contained. So the church exploded in growth. It went from a, a small group of believers in an upper room all the way to the uttermost. And it took over the entire world um, at that time. In fact, scholars believe that the church in Jerusalem grew so fast and it grew so large that in just a few short decades, it actually took over half the city of Jerusalem. The gospel expanded like wildfire because the Christians in the early church, they got it right. 
And in our generation, in 2022 and moving forward, we want to be a church that gets it right. We want to be more than just a Sunday morning meeting. We want to be a movement. We want to be a group of people that take the message of Jesus into our worlds wherever we may go. And we want to be a movement and we want to be a powerful force for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to be a people that conquer the gates of hell through the power of the gospel. And I would tell you this morning that the church is not just a stronghold. It's an army. We are to advance. We are to live sent into our world. And we have to get this right because there is a world that is desperately far from Jesus that is looking for hope. And we are the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And so we don't have the luxury, folks, of living off the successes of the past. Whether it's Ontario Christian Fellowship and the nearly 60 years of history, whether it's Crossroads Church and the nearly 25 years of history, we can't just look through the rear view and live life through the rear view. We have to keep looking forward because there are always more people to reach. There's always more that need to hear about the message of Jesus. We are stewards of the church in this generation. So the question is, how do we get it right? How do we accomplish the mission of Jesus that he gave for us when he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Well, we, we do this by repeating history. You know, Winston Churchill, the great leader in, in, uh, in Great Britain, he once said this. He said, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. You've heard that quote before, haven't you? Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Well, I would say this, the opposite is true for the church. Those who fail to learn from history will never be able to repeat it. And we want to repeat what the early church did back in the book of Acts and specifically in Acts chapter 2. So there are some things that that the early church did that were as natural to them as breathing. They were magnificent obsessions rather than casual commitments. They were things that people didn't have to tell them what to do. They just naturally did them out of an overflow of their heart. They did these things because they were obsessed with carrying out the message of this risen Savior, this rabbi named Jesus, who died and was buried, and then he rose again, and they saw him, they witnessed him going back to heaven. And so there were, there were four things that spirit-filled people that this early church was devoted to in the, in, in, in the Acts chapter 2. And I want to point out four things specifically to you this morning. If you have your program, certainly you can take some notes, but I'm going to give you four points this morning to, uh, to understand these are the things that if we're going to repeat history, if we're going to be an Acts chapter 2 type of church moving forward, these are the things that spirit-filled people should be devoted to. The first thing that we're going to find in Acts chapter 2 is that the early Christians were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the teaching of God's word, the apostles' teaching. In fact, I want to point your attention to verse 42. And what we're really going to do this morning is we're going to focus probably 95% of our text is going to be found in verse 42. We're going to break this verse down. And it says this, And they devoted themselves, the early believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It's a really simple little point right here of what they were obsessed with, what they spent their time investing in. These believers, they craved and devoured God's word. They weren't simply looking for for information when they gathered together. When God's word was taught, they weren't simply looking for like, hey, I just need to, I need to get more Bible knowledge. What they were looking for was, yes, information, but they were also looking for transformation. 
Because the understanding of Scripture was not yet in them. They had to learn how to do this life of walking with Jesus and walking in community and carrying out the mission and the gospel of Christ. It wasn't naturally in them, so they needed to be taught God's word. You ever tasted something for the first time and then got an appetite for it? And then you couldn't stop thinking about it because you just crave it over and over Let me tell you about a place that I discovered about nine months ago in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, If you know me at all, I'm a little bit of a foodie, and I I definitely have a sweet tooth. I like me some junk food. And so I went to Knoxville, Tennessee back in December to visit my sister, and I found this little storefront, this little place called Cineholic. And by Cineholic, I don't mean S-I-N as in bad. I mean C-I-N-N as in cinnamon, as in cinnamon roll, okay? Cineholic. I found this little dive restaurant, if you will, that was like Cinnabon on steroids, okay? I'm talking cinnamon rolls this big. And I got the cinnamon roll that had the cookie dough on top and chocolate chips and like chocolate syrup and caramel drizzled over the top of it. It was phenomenal. It changed my life, you guys. Like, I, I literally think about it, and I wake up in the night at times in like a cold sweat, because I'm like, oh man, I just need some Cineholic. I need another, I, I just have a craving for it. It changed me. It was delectable, and I look forward to going to see my sister, simply because I want to go to Cineholic. And so, you ever had one of those moments where you tasted something, and it changed you? Folks, these people in the the early church in Acts chapter 2, they got a taste of God's word. And they began to devour it. And then they began to have an appetite for it. And they craved it. And they couldn't get enough of it. And they were obsessed with the apostles' teaching. And they had a steady diet of it. And the unfortunate thing is in the world that we live in nowadays, the world tells us that you are not a bad person. That you are beautiful on the inside. And that all of your problems in life are, are a result of the things that are surrounding you. And you just need to kind of clean up your surroundings and your circumstances because you are beautiful. And you are good and your problems are all external. Well, what we know is that Christianity tells us the opposite. It tells me that I'm what's wrong with this world. It tells me that my heart has been tainted by sin. It tells me that I need a change of heart. Folks, do you realize how black your heart is with sin apart from Christ? Apart from the transforming work of the gospel, each and every one of us were dead in our trespasses and sin. Sin penetrates and corrupts every part of us. It corrupts every cell of our being, just like a cancer. So how do we change our hearts? How do we we go from being far from God and blackened in our heart and in our, our trespasses and sins to having a heart for what's good and what's pure and what's true and what's holy? Well, we do that by the power of God. We can't change ourselves, but God can. And the power of God's word can change us. And it changes every sinful pattern in our lives. Because every time you're exposed to God's word, what it does is it looks into your life and it looks into you and it says, what are you going to do with this truth? And it forces us to make a decision. It forces us to, to, to repent. In fact, Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Folks, God's word is powerful. 
And it has a powerful place in our lives. And if we're going to be a church that is obsessed and devoted to advancing the mission and the message of Jesus, then we have to be obsessed and devoted to the teachings of Scripture. The church, just a few verses earlier, I love this. If you look in verse 37, I want to read this to you. Because this is what led to what we just read in verse 42. In verse 37, it says this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They heard God's word. They heard how they were sinful. They heard that there was a Jesus that died and was buried and rose again. They heard this truth for the first time. They were, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. And then they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Like they didn't just hear God's word. They desperately needed to respond to it. They needed to react to it. And I would ask you this morning, when was the last time that you heard God's word in your life and it cut you to the heart? And it changed you. When was the last time you responded like the early Christians did in Acts chapter 2? I think the problem for many of us Christians in today's day and age is that we have God's word. In fact, many of you have God's word in your lap. Maybe you have it on your phone. We have it in the backs of the pews here. We have it all over our homes. Maybe we have a coffee table one. Maybe we have one next to our bed. Maybe we have several on our bookshelves. We have so many copies of God's word and we have such access to it that many times we take it for granted because we don't read it. Even though we own it, we don't read it enough and our hearts aren't transformed by it because we don't slow down and meditate on it and we don't apply it. We need to have an encounter with God's word, his powerful word in our lives. In fact, I want to read Psalm chapter 119, verses 9 through 16, because this shows us the power of God's word and what our appetite for it should be. It says, how can, a, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Folks, we need to have a a long memory of God's word and its place in our lives. Do you approach God's word with that kind of zeal? With that kind of intensity? With that kind of desperation? Folks, if we're going to make a difference in our communities, if we're going to make a difference in our neighborhoods, if we're going to make a difference in our families, we have to have an appetite for God's word. We have to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. The second thing is that the the believers were devoted to community. If we look on in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, again, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and then we go on one phrase further, and the fellowship. These people needed each other. They knew each other and they invested in each other's lives. There was a depth of relationship beyond the surface. They invaded each other's lives. They questioned one another. They held one another accountable. They exhorted one another to good works. And they helped to sanctify through the power of God's word and the work of the Holy Spirit each other. They were strengthened for the mission ahead. They became about we instead of just me. I think there's a lot of selfish Christians in our churches today that's all about me and what can I gain and how does this this affect me? How does this promote me? How does this make me stronger? How does this make me better? Instead of saying, hey, as a community, 
as a group, as a body, as a family? How does this grow us? How can I contribute to you and give to you instead of just taking for me? And this is what happened when they became about we more than we. Sorry, when they became about we more than me. Verse 44 says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. These folks invaded each other's lives. Every part of their lives were shared with one another. They were the purest expression of the church. And they met daily in homes. They met daily for fellowship and teaching. And their lives were enriched and they were strengthened for the cause. And this is why groups here at Crossroads are so important. This is why you'll hear me talk moving forward a lot about communities. Because whether you're 80 years old, I just talked with a friend this morning whose birthday is today. She turns 90 years old. Whether you're 90 years old or whether you're 40 years old in this room, we all need community to enrich our lives, to encourage us and to edify us to good works and edify us and build us up in the faith. You know, someone once told me recently, you can't do together alone. Think about that. You can't do together alone. We need each other. We need to be together. So imagine, imagine what difference a community would make in your life if you had one. If you had a group, if you had a group of people that you walked alongside of more than just on Sunday mornings, but you had those people that, that walked with you through that diagnosis that walked with you through that prodigal child, that walked with you through the loss of that job, that walked with you through that health issue or the loss of that loved one. Imagine the difference that they would make in your life. You know, a simple act of obedience can become a significant source of change in each and every one of our lives. In fact, studies prove this to be true. I shared this at our other campuses last week. I think it's a powerful truth. Studies have been done that show that living in sustained seasons of isolation is detrimental. It's physically detrimental to your health. In fact, isolation is so much more dangerous than living in community. They say that living in sustained isolation is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's the impact that it has on your life. Folks, we need each other spiritually, but also physically. And to be at church means that we're committing to others and we're opening up to accountability from others. I have guys that speak into my life. I have guys that question my motives. I have guys that say, hey, Chris, have you thought about this instead of doing that? I have guys that question me. They question like the decisions I make. They follow up with me when I confess sin. Like, how are you doing in this area? And I don't always like it. And sometimes those relationships get a little bit messy. But I promise you this. Every one of them build into me as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. And I desperately need that. And they build up my faith. Folks, we need community and we need believers who are devoted to community. The third thing, the third observation that I find from this text is that the early believers were devoted also to God's presence. They were devoted to God's presence. Look further on to verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Folks, these people knew how to eat together. They were devoted to breaking of bread together. And, you know, I think a lot of Christians love this verse because it gives us an excuse to eat with one another. It gives us an excuse to share a meal together. And I don't know about you, but I don't need another excuse to have another meal. 
but I'll take it. I will certainly take it when those opportunities arise. And so if you ever want to invite me and my family over to dinner, I promise you, I'll try to fit it into my schedule as much as possible, you know, because I want to break bread with other Christians because we love that. You know, I grew up in a church, a very fundamental Baptist church, and we believed in the three F words, okay? Food, fun, and fellowship. And so whenever we would have a gathering, if there wasn't food, I promise you there wasn't going to be fun and there probably wasn't going to be much fellowship. We needed food to be able to come together and to break bread together. And so I I know that we all understand that there's something special about sharing a meal with another. There's something about that that brings down barriers and brings down walls. But that's not really what this verse is saying. What this verse is really telling us about is that these people were devoted to the Lord's Supper. They were devoted to the presence of God in their lives and, and, and observing the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and remembering his body that was broken and his blood that was spilled out for their sins. And so here is a church today, we need to be devoted to the things that the early church was devoted to and the things that Jesus told us to be about. And he gave us two ordinances in the church or two directives, if you will. He said, remember me through the Lord's Supper and also baptize one another. And so every time that we drink of the cup and every time we eat of the bread and every time that we dunk someone in the water, we are remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. We remember his death, burial, and resurrection. And that brings power in his presence. And every time we meet on Sunday morning, there's a power that is in this place, right? When we gather together, where two or more are gathered, God is there with us. His presence is here. But God's word in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 also tells us there's something extra unique or powerful about when the body of believers, when the church comes together and has communion or celebrates the Lord's Supper. There's a special power with us when we observe the Lord's Supper. And so saying all of that, I want to let you know that next Sunday we are going to observe the Lord's table here in this service. And so I want to invite you to be prepared for that. But folks, I want to ask you a question of, of application this morning. When was the last time you showed up at church expecting the presence of God to move amongst us? When was the last time you expected God to powerfully move and to speak to you? Man, I think a lot of us, we come to church every Sunday morning. For, for some of us, maybe it's, it's another spiritual check mark. For others of us, it's just that thing that we do every week. It's a part of our weekly rhythm. It's a part of our routine. For others of us, maybe we're trying to earn favor with God. How many of us truly walk into this place prayed up and saying, God, I surrender all. Like Dan just saying, I surrender all. I want you to move in my life and I want you to speak to me through the preaching of your word. Man, folks, we need to be devoted to the presence of God. Are we hungry for his word? Are we desperate for community? Are we eagerly listening for the voice of God in our lives? The fourth thing that they were devoted to in Acts chapter 2 was prayer. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and also to prayers. Folks, their dependence was upon God at all times. They instinctually knew that they needed his guidance. They felt the weight of the gospel. 
They knew that deciding to follow Jesus was going to draw a line in the sand and they were stepping over that line saying, I know I'm creating enemies by doing this. I know I may lose loved ones. I know I may lose my livelihood. I know people may turn against me. I know this life is going to be difficult because Jesus said that they would hate me if they, if they, if they hated him. Jesus said that this life was going to have tribulation and hardship. They knew that they needed the power of God in their lives and that it would come through prayer. They felt the weight of all these things, and so they waited. In the early church, in Acts chapter 2, they waited and they prayed for 10 days. From the ascension of Jesus to the day of Pentecost was 10 days, and they simply waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and they prayed. They waited well. And we don't do that very well in today's day and age, do we? We like to take the bull by the horns. We like to to go after it and get it. And we don't wait well, but that's exactly what these people did. And they didn't just wait. They weren't just patient, but they waited actively by praying. In fact, I got a quote that I want to read you. It's a short quote from a book called A Praying Life by Pastor Paul Miller. This is what he said. He said, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn how to pray. We are so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments and production, but prayer is nothing but talking to God. Sometimes it feels useless as if we are wasting time. While we pray, every bone in our body screams, get to work. Prayer sometimes can feel very reactive. It can feel very inactive. But I promise you this, that prayer is the least passive thing that you will do today. We need to be about devotion to prayer and to God's word. And so when we feel the urgency of what God has called us to as a church, and we know that we can't do it on our own, we will become a church devoted to prayer. And I love that this congregation in particular, we have multiple groups that come together weekly and pray, whether it's on Wednesday night or whether it's on Saturday morning, faithful followers of Jesus that believe that the power comes through God's word, yes, but it also comes through prayer. And that in order for us to make an impact, we have to be devoted to it. And every week they gather faithfully in order to lift up our prayer requests to the Lord. Folks, here's a humbling reality. If I'm living a life absent of prayer, I'm either doing it on my own or I'm living too little. If you eliminated prayer from your life today, honestly, how much would it change your life? Think about that question. If prayer is the barometer of our lives, of our spiritual lives, how big or little are you living? How much would your life change if you stopped praying? Are you living a life dependent upon God or are you doing it in your own strength? Folks, this church, this 120 believers Early on in the book of Acts, there were 120 of them that were in the upper room. They were waiting on the presence of God. They were waiting on a move of God through the Holy Spirit of God, and they devoted themselves to prayer. And that's what made the difference. It became as natural to them as breathing, and it was a natural expression of their hearts. And the result of these four devotions comes down to verse 47. I want to read that as we close out. And praising God and having favor with all the people... And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Every day they met. Every day they cared for one another. Every day they searched the scriptures together. Every day they sought the power in the presence of God. Every day they were winning souls. And every day their numbers increased. Every single 
day, not just on Christmas and Easter, not just after like really powerful salvation invitation messages. Every day, people that were lost and far from God were coming to faith in Jesus because of these devotions. What a powerful testimony of what a church should be like. And folks, this is what we need to be about moving forward. The teachings of scripture, the community that comes with being a part of a church family, the presence of God breaking bread together, and the power of prayer in our lives. Let's be about that. Let's move forward in that direction with these obsessions in our lives. And I just know that God will do amazing things in and through us. Heavenly Father.